Matthew 23, 1 through 12. Keep your Bibles open. We will kind of study this uh, verse by verse together today. Let's pause for just a moment again and ask the Lord to help us as we come to his word together. Father, you have not left us without direction and instruction and guidance, illumination, Father, for life in general, life everlasting and new life in Christ. We thank you for your word that has been given, has been revealed to us that we have the opportunity to hold today to look at, to read together and to study together and we just pray Father as we, as we spend this time submitting to your word yielding our lives to your truth and your revelation that your spirit would be at work in our hearts Father molding us and shaping us and transforming our lives and Recall the passage in Thessalonians that, where Paul is praising the Lord because the word is at work in the believers. And that's our desire, Father, today, that your word would be at work in us, shaping us in the likeness of your Son. May our heart's desire be this morning as John the Baptist. May, may you increase and may we decrease that the power of the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the joy of the gospel be our lives. So give us the attention that we need, the humility that we need, the reception, Father, that we need, the communication that we need. That Christ may be exalted in this place today. We ask for your will to be accomplished in our lives, in our homes, in this your church. And for that we need a lot of grace. We need a tremendous amount of the working of your Holy Spirit. And we rely on you God to be faithful as we trust and know that you will. In Christ's name, amen. So here we are, we're beginning Matthew 23. We now, uh, at this point in our study of the gospel of Matthew, we, we only have six, we're only six chapters away at this point from studying an entire gospel account together as a church family, word by word, verse by verse, a detailed investigation into the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In many ways, this we have really joined hands, so to speak, with those first recipients. Can you, can you imagine being some of the first recipients of Matthew's gospel? One, one of the first copies, one of the first scrolls of the gospel account of Matthew, being, being in one of, those, one of those early churches, one of those first 
church gatherings where the only New Testament book you had was the copy of Matthew's gospel that you just received a few weeks ago. Can you imagine that gathering of believers around the gospel of Matthew? I, I imagine they read and, and reread and studied each and, and every word. And that's, that's been our privilege for, for some time now to study word for word this gospel. Well, chapter 23, we, we open up kind of a new page. Jesus is in the week of passion. He's very close to the, his suffering and the cross, his death at this point. And there's a lesson here. All of chapter 23 is a lesson to his disciples, his close followers, and to some of the crowds who are also still paying attention and listening to Christ. And the lesson is regarding the dangerous teaching and the dangerous path of false religion, especially when it's dressed up as genuine faith. Wolves in sheep's clothing. So before he goes to the cross and leaves the earth, he leaves his followers with a, a message, really, of, of dire warning. Be careful who you allow to be your spiritual influence. We all have those who are influencing our lives. And many times, it impacts our spiritual understanding, our spiritual walk, our spiritual lives. Beware of imposters. That's the that's the theme of chapter 23. Don't follow those who are not actually following God. It's a lesson that very naturally flows from chapter 22. If you remember coming out of chapter 22 with those final confrontation moments between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others that were opposing Jesus, the scribes. Those final confrontations, those final questions. And why were they so hostile to, to Jesus' miracles and Jesus' message? Why did they want to put an, an end? Why, did, why were they so set to silence his ministry? Why were they, the religious leaders of the day, his greatest opposition? They were always there, always, always nagging, always hostile, always trying to throw, throw a curve. Why is that? Well, in very simple terms, they were not believers. They were not true believers. They, they did not possess true faith in the one true God and therefore in his son as well, who happened to be Jesus, and therefore they despised him too. They could not stomach the truth that, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They surely couldn't stomach the truth that, that they too were, were among uh, all of whom Jesus was preaching to and whom John the Baptist was preaching to when he was calling them to repentance. They, they couldn't stomach the fact that, that, that they too were, were sinners. They too were separated from God. They too needed salvation. 
They needed repentance. They needed saving faith. Well, that could not be the message. This could not be the Messiah. And so they were not true believers, but they were spiritual guides. They were not true believers, but they did have tremendous spiritual influence. And thus we have chapter 23. Beware of the spiritual imposters. But it's also a very natural lesson for us today. The Bible is always applicable. It's always relevant. Because we are surrounded by voices. We are surrounded by voices that are constantly influencing us, impacting our lives one way or the other. We're surrounded by voices in our churches. We're surrounded by voices in media. We're surrounded by voices in everyday conversation. We're surrounded by uh, voices of close friends and family members and people that we look up to, people that we admire. And especially those that we find in the spiritual context claiming to be guides to truth or, or at least presuming to know the truth or, or even thinking to have a, a key to life, a, a key to the universe, how, how, how to make everything go your way. So whether it be a sermon or a, or a podcast or a blog or even just a casual conversation, how do we identify those who are, who are counseling us in the way of the Lord, who are encouraging us in the things of Christ, who, who are pointing us to right and good application of scriptural truth? And how do we identify those who would detour us away from the path of truth? We need more than, than things that sound good. We need more than things that, well, that makes sense. We need to go further and be asking the questions, but is that scripturally true? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that feels good. Yeah, that, that works. We need to get beyond those kinds of questions to the scriptural truth question does does that line up with scripture is that the counsel of god so in our text today jesus gives us some characteristics of of those who would be imposters and those who are authentic spiritual helpers and guides very helpful for us to always be aware of and be discerning of the spiritual voices in our lives. So how to spot spiritual imposters would be the first list of characteristics that we see in our text today. Jesus says something interesting as he starts this lesson. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works they do. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? First, he acknowledges that, that when the Pharisees teach from Moses' seat, what is that? Well, that's, that's when they, they sit in the uh, uh, official teaching function of the synagogue. And so when they are in that official teaching capacity called Moses' seat, and, and they are explaining the scriptures that Moses has written, the first five books of the Old Testament. 
When they are in that capacity, they are conveying then the writings of Moses. So he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you. But we need to make sure we understand the context of that statement, don't we? Notice he doesn't say, do, do and observe any and everything they tell you. Because the rest of the passage, literally the rest of the chapter, is Jesus warning against the misleading of the Pharisees. So what is he saying when he says, do and observe what they tell you, and then kind of spends the rest of the chapter saying, no, don't do that. Don't listen to that. Because of their hypocrisy, because of their false teaching, because they were actually leading people away from God, away from truth, into eternal condemnation rather than into eternal salvation. So he's not saying in verse 3, do what they say, and then the rest of the chapter, don't do what they say. What does he mean? Well, when, when he mentions Moses' seed, I think, I think we can make some clarity there that what Jesus is saying is when, when they are teaching you from Scripture, Moses' writings, and it's clearly Moses' writings. In other words, when it's Scripture, do and observe whatever they tell you because it's Scripture. That's the point. But everything else, basically, when you look at, when we examine the rest of the chapter, but everything else, do not allow them to be your spiritual leaders. If it's scripture, listen. If it's not, don't. And that's really a good framework for us to use in our lives. For whatever counseling, for whatever issue, whether it be parenting or, or financing or decision-making or, or marriage or life in general or whatever it be, whatever the counseling may be, if it's Scripture, do and observe whatever they tell you. But if it's not, don't. Stay grounded in scriptural truth. And then Jesus gives three identification markers of spiritual imposters. And the first marker is this. So there'll be, there'll be three sub-points under this point. That's how you sneak in more points in a sermon. There are only two points in this sermon, but there are many sub-points. Quick sub-points. Quick sub-points. You ready? Here we go. Number one, a spiritual imposter doesn't practice what he preaches. His walk does not match his talk. You see there in verse 3, for they preach, but they do not practice. In verse 4, Jesus illustrates that point. They preach, but they do not practice. And, and he, says, he explains what he means by that. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They don't in the slightest. They don't even have an indication that they are in any way going to do what they are requiring of others to do. They lay heavy burdens on the backs of others, but they themselves don't do what they say. And we've seen this in Matthew already. 
We saw in chapter 12, remember the Pharisees charged Jesus' disciples with breaking the Sabbath because remember the, the disciples were hungry. They were hungry and they were walking through the grain field and they plucked some grain to eat to satisfy their hunger. And the Pharisee says, oh, 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 they're breaking the Sabbath. They're working. They're plucking grain on the Sabbath. Laying burdens on people. In other words, I'd rather you starve than pluck a handful of grain and eat on the Sabbath. Laying burdens on the shoulders of others. In the same chapter, in chapter 12 of Matthew, remember they charged Jesus with breaking the Sabbath because he healed the withered hand of a man. So here's someone who needed help, needed assistance was in dire physical need, and and Jesus alleviated his suffering, took away his suffering. And they immediately attacked, why are you doing that on the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath, is 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 it really lawful to work a miracle on the Sabbath? What a question, right? Is it okay for God to do something on the day that he set aside? Laying burdens. In other words, we would rather you keep your withered hand. We would rather you stay suffering. That's the kind of laws and rules and obligations that we have. In chapter 15, they charged the disciples again for for not going through a a ritual of, of complete and total bodily cleansing before they eat a meal. Again, rule after rule, disregarding the needs and and the ordinary life of ordinary people. And and the reason why they could do that as the religious elite is because they were not ordinary people. They didn't have basic needs. They didn't go hungry. They didn't have withered hands. They had everything they needed. They... There was no way that they were going to break their own rules. They had no needs. They had no necessities. They had no urgencies in their lives. And that's why, for the most part, they didn't need God. They didn't need Jesus. They didn't need forgiveness. They had everything. And on top of having everything, they had all of these rules that, that told them they had even righteousness. You see, the law of God is not adding hardship to hardship. That's not the purpose of the law of God, to just make life as difficult and burdensome as it possibly can be. It's actually the opposite, to free us from the shackles and penalty and consequences of sin, to to free us to follow the Lord, to free us to, to find our joy and life in Him and in lives that please Him, directing our lives to purity and holiness. There is a world of difference between man's additional law, don't pluck grain, even if you're hungry, don't pluck grain, and God's law, do not commit adultery, it will destroy your life. Those are two completely different laws with two completely different purposes. But you see, these religious leaders, they, they would preach, but they would not practice they misunderstood that we are all whether you are a religious leader or not we are all in the process of sanctification we are all in need 
We are all working through these, this lifelong process of growing in the Lord. Beware of the spiritual leader that projects himself or herself as flawless, as having it all together, as, as appearing that, 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 that they never have a need, never have a sin, never have a struggle. That, that's a sure sign of an imposter. The, the, the apostle Paul himself said, I am the chief of sinners. Beware of the spiritual imposter that projects himself as perfect. Pastors and others are not perfect people. I just knew I was going to get an amen there. I think I got one slide back here. <laughs> We're just like other believers. All spiritual influences are just like all believers. In the process of sanctification, the closer you get to me, the more of my warts you're going to see. The closer I get to you, the same is true. We are here then to, to pray for one another, serve one another, encourage one another, help one another. We're not here to pick out each other's warts and criticize each other for our imperfections. We come with the assumption we already have those. We're here to grow in the Lord and encourage one another to move closer to Christ and be more like Christ. So that's the first one. The second one, number two, a spiritual imposter will make much of himself. And by making much of himself, he makes very little of God. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, they, they, they do all their deeds, see that? They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They make much of themselves and by making much of themselves make very little of God. A phylactery is a small container and it was connected to either the front of a head, headdress, headwear, close to the mind or attached to the left sleeve which would be close to the heart and in that container it contained a piece of parchment with scripture written on it usually Deuteronomy 6 hear O Israel the Lord is one love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind the fringe is like a, a, a tassel that would be connected to the end of a robe. And it was a, it was a means of a reminder to prayer and, and a reminder of how many prayers you've prayed that day. And so, so broad phylacteries making your container really big and long fringes making your tassels really long were meant to communicate, look how much I love the word and look how much I pray. That was the purpose. Notice me. Look to me. That is an indication of a spiritual imposter. Always drawing attention to his spiritual accomplishments. Always making much of himself and failing then to make much of God. It's a look at me instead of look to God. If you have a need, look to God. If you need faith, look to God. If you need encouragement, look to God. If you need answers, look to God. When you hear a spiritual 
imposter. You may leave thinking, wow, how great he is. But when you hear a true spiritual leader, you leave thinking, wow, God is really awesome. Our God is great. Spiritual imposters desire that you be impressed with them. True spiritual guides desire that you be impressed with God. That you marvel at the grace of God in Christ. That you be captivated with God's love for you in the Lord. God's power and sovereignty in this world. Our hope that we have in eternal life. That's number two. Number three, a spiritual imposter desires to be praised rather than give praise to God. For that, we look at verses six and seven. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love these things. They, they love the attention. They love the accolades. They lust for admiration. They seek applause. They, they thirst for a following. And it's all under the guise here of true faith, of, of Christianity in our day. They work to build their own empire under the name of a Christian ministry. It's all about them. Instead of being all about God, all about Christ, all about the gospel, all about truth and holiness and purity... I had someone tell me one time, Pastor Will, I wish you would talk more about yourself when you're preaching. I wish you'd, I wish you'd tell us more about yourself. And I knew, I knew what he meant. I knew what he meant because I know people enjoy getting to know more about the man who preaches to them every week. I understand that. But I'd rather talk about Jesus. I mean, I, just, I really would. He's far more interesting than I am. And he can do so much more for you than I ever could. My best service is to turn your eyes to him. Turn my eyes to him. I don't mind people getting to know me, but I really want you to get to know Jesus. I really want you to see him in his glory and his mercy and his power and his grace and his miracle working, soul saving eternal keeping ministry Christ truly is our greatest treasure so an imposter essentially an imposter leads us to look to them we come to them for the answer we come to them for the truth we come to them for the way we come to them for inspiration. We come to them. We look to them. But the true spiritual God is leading us to Christ. Look to Christ. He's the fountain of living water. He's the living bread. Look to Christ. Let's look to Christ. Even better, the true spiritual God is going to say, let's look to Christ together. How to, how to identify spiritual imposters? Well, Secondly, how to find faithful leaders then. How do you find a faithful leader, someone that's trustworthy, someone that you can, you can listen to, you can, you can give an ear to? 
that will help and assist us in knowing the truth and following the Lord and loving Christ. And there's three things here in verse, beginning in, in verse 8. You see there when Jesus begins to, uh, ends talking about them, then in verse 8 there's a little transition point there, isn't there? He says, but you. So now he's talking to his followers, Now he's talking to his disciples. Who would, when Christ ascends back into the heavens, his followers, his disciples, will be the spiritual leaders. And he's talking also, remember, to the crowds that are gathered. So he's he's helping them identify the spiritual leaders. He's helping spiritual leaders be true spiritual leaders. So he says, but you. And then he gives these three characteristics In verses 8 through 10, we see this. A a true spiritual leader is not self-seeking. He's not self-seeking. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. In other words, now Jesus Jesus is not here teaching. We we, we, We have to understand the context. Jesus is not saying... We don't have anyone, rabbi means teacher. We don't have any teachers anymore. Because over in Ephesians, Paul says Christ gives teachers to the church. That's the ministry of pastors and shepherds and elders is, is to spiritually instruct. So he's not saying here there are no more teachers. When he says, don't call anyone father, he, he's not saying you're, you can't call your biological dad father. You've got to quit saying father. You can say dad, don't, don't say father. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying we're not going to have any more instructors because the Bible says that, that there's wisdom in godly counsel. So we do have instructors. So, so what's he saying? Jesus is saying, but you, talking to his true spiritual leaders and those listening, Jesus is saying, don't seek a place of notoriety and authority and don't seek to give undue notoriety and authority where it doesn't belong. Remember, Paul considered Timothy to be his son in the faith. So he was a father to Timothy. We have spiritual fathers in the sense of those that we look up to who are mentors and examples to us and inspire us because they are following Jesus. So they're not saying, I'm your answer. They're saying, I have found my answer in Christ and here's how I'm getting to him. Now come and go with me. In other words, don't seek to be the sole spiritual influence of others. That's a spiritual imposter. And that's what the Pharisees were doing, weren't they? They were saying, quit listening to Jesus and only listen to us. We are your sole spiritual voice. Jesus is saying, don't seek to be the sole spiritual influence of others and and don't grant an individual sole spiritual authority. The sole spiritual authority in our lives belongs to Christ that's why, I say, that's why he says we have one instructor, Christ. We have one Father in heaven. The sole spiritual authority in our lives belongs to Christ. Belongs to the Lord. Don't give that place to others. You see, true spiritual leaders are not self-seeking. They're, they're not seeking for your soul attention and soul commitment 
They don't seek advancement among others. They seek for others to advance in their walk in the Lord. They don't seek to be the end goal. They seek to point us to Christ as the end goal. True spiritual leaders are not self-seeking. Verse 11, a true spiritual leader is not, a true spiritual leader is self-denying. Verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. It's a tremendous word, isn't it? So Jesus is saying there will be great ones among us. There will be great examples of the faith. There will be great spiritual heroes. There will be great ones among us. And it just won't be greatness in the world's terms. It'll be greatness in the kingdom's terms. And in the kingdom's terms, greatness is not the one who desires and determines that the spotlight is always on him, always clawing and scratching his way to the top, but rather those who are serving, those who are ministering the truth, living out the truth, loving, serving. The greatest among you will be your servant. So a true spiritual leader is self-denying. Serving. And lastly, in verse 12, a true spiritual leader is not self-promoting. Self-promoting. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And that's what the spiritual imposter does. He exalts himself. But all that self-exaltation is man-made and it's going to come to an end. He will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. An imposter will promote himself. But that platform will eventually crumble and fall. But the true spiritual leader is promoted by God without seeking it. An imposter will force doors open. A true spiritual leader will simply walk through doors that have already been opened. But it really does come down to that key word, humble himself, doesn't it? In other words, for our our concluding thought this morning, genuine humility is the key factor. When you look at the three descriptions that Jesus has given of spiritual imposters and the the three ways we've looked here in these verses at true spiritual leaders, really the key ingredient is the presence of humility in the true leaders and the absence of, the glaring absence of humility within the imposters. Genuine humility surrounds a, a genuine spiritual voice, a genuine spiritual help and guide. And do you know why that is? Why is it? And humility is something that you can't force upon yourself. Humility is something that that just inherently begins to grow. We can pray for it. We can desire it. We can long for it. We can practice it. But the reason why it's present among those who are to be our spiritual voices, someone who has truly experienced the grace of God, 
will always know that they are undeserving sinners. They are undeserving sinners lavished with God's unmerited saving grace. An authentic spiritual guide in our lives will be someone that knows this more than he knows anything else. If I were not saved by grace, I would not be saved. If you find someone in their heart of hearts that that's the core of their faith, if I were not saved by faith, if I were not saved by grace, I wouldn't be saved. That humility will flavor an entire life and ministry. But that's not just for leaders, is it? That's for every believer. Remember the Apostle Paul said this, I am what I am by the grace of God. That's who we need to follow. Let's pray. Father, give us wise and discerning ears and hearts so that we may know who to listen, to whom to listen. We may be discerning as far as in terms of those who are impacting our lives, those who are causing and, 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 and creating a, a desire in our lives for things and a, and a distrust and a distaste in our lives for, for other things and to make sure that those voices and those influences are true, authentic followers of Christ. But not only do we need to be discerning about the influences in our lives, we need to be true, authentic, spiritual encouragers and guides to those around us. Pointing people to Christ, pointing people to the gospel, pointing people to the scripture. So, Father, we, we need to work around us and we need to work in us, Lord, that we might be among those who have humbled ourselves, that you might exalt. Give us exactly, precisely, right here, right now, what we need to be more like Jesus. And we're going to thank you for the work that you accomplish in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.